This podcast is sponsored by Tweak Audio, your source for quality, affordable headphones. Head over to tweakaudio.com and place your order, and when checking out with any item or any amount, enter in promo code TBUSAVES and receive 33% off your entire order and free worldwide shipping. Check out the banner on the website to head over to tweakaudio.com. Tweak it, baby. <laughs> you can cut that last part out. <laughs> or you could start the show with, tweak it, baby. <laughs> tweak both of them, baby. <laughs> Not just the left one. No, sorry. <laughs> this is Patrick Leeson, and you're listening to Bat Fans Podcast. If you could have took out Hitler, you'd take out Hitler. You don't walk away. <laughs> Leeson screwed me up, because I listened to that thing like three or four times, and he just says, Bad Fans Podcast. So, thanks a lot, Pat. Patrick Leeson. <laughs> I think it's okay, because you broke up when you said your first two words, so I think oh. it's okay, yeah. Okay. Hey, everybody, it's another Bad Fans Podcast. <laughs> I know, I'm fired from the podcast. <laughs> How dare you meet Patrick Gleason and mess up yeah. <laughs> You don't even know what show you're on, Rob. <laughs> All right, take three. Hey, everybody, this is the Bad Fans Without Pants podcast. This is episode number 39. Um, and today we have Tim, we have Terrence, and we have Rob. And uh, we also have Dane, who is your host, who is talking right now. So, hey, everybody, how's it hanging? Hanging, hanging to the left or the right or the middle or hanging at all, if, <laughs> if that's the case. Um, but, uh, you know, before we get into the whole Batman discussion, you know, I was watching Star Trek Into Darkness. And, you know, when the, star, the starship Enterprise, or, uh, you know, goes warp speed to escape that big... Um, that big, that big starship yeah. that's uh, commanded by uh, Batman. <laughs> yeah, one of two Batmans in the film. Yeah, one of two Batmans. So, like, I, I get that you know saving Spock is a real big thing, but it seems like James Kirk he he, he doesn't care about like the other guys because the the bigger ship attacks the star, starship Enterprise. And, like, a ton of people die. And James Kirk doesn't seem to care about people. I mean, j- just think about it like this. Like, what if those people 
or your janitorial crew on the Starship Enterprise. And let's assume that they don't leave it to robots to clean their bathrooms. With that said, you've just lost your janitorial crew because <laughs> you got attacked by a bigger Starship. And, and, and he doesn't even seem to care. It's like, oh no, Spock, we, we need to sacrifice the whole ship to rescue you in the beginning. But who cares about the janitorial crew or, you know, uh, Bones' guys, you know? I don't get that. that. That's one thing I never got about Star Trek. Because, like, a ton of people die. Kirk doesn't care. But, oh, it's Spock. He cares so much that he'll sacrifice the whole entire ship just to save him. Well, I think in that instance you're talking about, there was really no time to <laughs> check on everybody or see the cat of the ship was pretty messed up, and he knew he had to, he had con there, and he had to get on board to stop him from shooting again, because he knows that he doesn't have a, a lot amount of time to get on there, because Scotty stalled, but not for that long, so he has to hurry up and get on there. Sometimes as a captain, you, you have to worry about those things later, but just to make sure you get whoever's left out of their lives. So in that instance, I don't find the fault that you see with it. And by the time they do get out, uh, they get the ship repaired, they'll have a new janitorial crew. So it's sad that they lost the originals, but they'll get another one. Yeah, no, but, like, it, it's people's lives. It's it's uh, Starfleet's – I mean, I don't know if they contract out to, to another company or if they uh, they hire within, you know, for, for the janitorial crew. Um, but – those are people's lives, and those people died a horrible death by getting sucked out into space. And he was trying to escape, though. But he wasn't expecting the ship to fire at him and warp, because that wasn't not supposed to be possible with any ship, so he wasn't expecting that. He was trying to escape. Yeah, yeah, but he, he, he didn't give, a, give it a second thought. Because there was no I mean, time. <laughs> yeah, there was a crap ton of people. <laughs> That's the burden of the people captain. Died. That's the burden of the captain. You have to mourn for them later. You have to save what you can at that moment. Yeah, and another thing, too, is in the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek, in the beginning, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first or the second Star Trek, but um, uh, Kirk's dad, he's shooting all the the missiles at um, that big uh, spaceship's missiles to save his wife and his kid, yet all the other people are getting hit with with missiles, and I don't get that. I mean, shouldn't you try to protect everybody instead of... Instead of just your wife and your kid. Well, see, that's the thing. It, it's a movie. You have to show the drama between only a certain amount of people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I really don't. But <laughs> I guess that's enough about the quote-unquote selfless acts of, of Kurt's dad. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, that's common. Even if you watch the old show, you know, they always beam down with, like, five guys. And there's a guy you've never seen before in the red shirt. The red and shirt. he always gets killed. And they're always like, oh, yeah, just Big Murphy just got killed. But then it's like, no, no, save Spock. Oh, no. Yeah, so. But I think maybe there might be a little more to the Kirk-Spock relationship than meets the eye if he's, like, so concerned with saving him and rescuing him. But the wait till number Star Trek three. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just hope it's not a pattern that J.J. Abrams does that for episode seven. Nah. <laughs> you know, I I really do wonder if uh, Starfleet contracts the janitorial work out, or if they hire within. I'm sure there's a Trekkie out there who can answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, do do the do the janitors get minimum wage? Or what are the minimum wages in 2134.53 or whatever? I know where where I work, uh, we hire out a janitorial staff, and they're contracted by somebody else. And uh, when uh, their 
cleaning our bathrooms on break. We're like, you don't even actually work here. Get out of our bathroom. It's break time. <laughs> so I would imagine that the uh, janitorial crew on the uh, Enterprise or the uh, Death Star are probably contracted out, and they're probably subpar uh, people on the ship. <laughs> Those are civilian lives that, that have been lost if Starfleet contracts work out. Well, I, I can tell you, I don't think they contract out because I've never seen anybody wearing like a subcontractor uniform. They always have the Starfleet uniform. Although I haven't really seen anybody like with a mop and, you know, a bucket cleaning either. <laughs> but I can tell you what they get paid because on Star Trek, it's a socialist society. They get paid nothing. Um, there is no money. They work, as they say, they work for the betterment of themselves and mankind. I guess, but... Yeah, those poor janitors. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but did you notice in that scene you're talking about, Dane, where everyone's getting killed and sucked out? There was an R2D2 that got sucked out of the Enterprise and into the war. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw the picture of it. I, I, I couldn't spot it myself, but I, I seen the picture of it. Well, I heard one person talking that they wouldn't even need bathrooms on the Enterprise because they have the transporters, so they can just <laughs> transport the waste out of them and just, like, send it into space or something. Yeah, but you still got to go to the... Uh, like, I guess. Like just, yeah. <laughs> and if you eat too much, you could just, like, transport it out of your stomach and lose weight. <laughs> it's bulimia in the, in the 25th century. Exactly, yeah. Just leave just enough so you can have some nutrients. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any Star Trek fan listening to this right now is rolling their eyes and just groaning like, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. They know nothing. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is a Batman podcast, uh, so I think we should talk about some Batman. Um, where should we begin? <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> let's uh, begin with our featured topic, uh, which is going to be our favorite Batman memories. Um I remember this one time I was on the toilet with my Batman comic, and I dropped it in the toilet. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You, you uh, do your. I was just your, about uh, to ask. Does that really happen? <laughs> I was about day, to ask, were you in Walmart or Macy's at the time? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say no, none of our stories could top that. <laughs> but yes, our favorite Batman memories. I kind of figure since. Pretty much all of us, except Dane, are, are old men now, <laughs> in our 30s, <laughs> late 30s, early 30s, somewhere in there. Even the podcast is 39. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> we got plenty of Batman memories that we could share, so I figured it'd be a cool uh, conversation to talk about. So uh, I guess, Rob, you can go ahead and start off. You might have a recent one, I, I would oh, think. <laughs> Tim. Oh, what? Uh, can, can I just interrupt you for a second? No, you can't. <laughs> oh. Well, then you're kicked off the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was watching the movie um, Oblivion. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty good movie. But um, the soundtrack is really good. I, I really like the soundtrack. Yep. You want to know why? Why? Because it's a ripoff of uh, uh, Hans Zimmer's Dark Knight soundtrack. Really? Oh, man. <laughs> There's some motifs that sound almost exactly the same. Which is, isn't that kind of like plagiarism? Yeah, so it's like you like it, but then when you find out what it is, like, oh, I don't like it now. Yeah, yeah. Is Oblivion that Tom Cruise movie where it's like in the future? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that plagiarizing Wally in some way? Because <laughs> I saw the preview, like, did I see this in Wally? I guess. It's like a future dead world, and he has to go collect stuff. Or, no, know. no. The um, the the humans are in like 
on like the spaceship or the planet or something, and um, they use Earth's uh, water for fuel or something. I don't know. I can't really remember it because I mean, after they explain that, you don't really care after that because it's just Tom Cruise running and shooting a gun. How about different? Yeah. Hey, you know, on this podcast, Dane is kind of like Captain Kirk, and Tim is kind of like the Spock. So I think if we were in danger, like Rob and I would be killed, and no one would care. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys can be Chekhov and Sulu, though. No, okay, the pilot. That'll work. <laughs> Course set in, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know who you are, Rob. <laughs> that guy's Russian accent is so bad. I mean, he, he just hams it up. Yeah, he, he like overdoes it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, okay. back to our featured featured topic. Yes. <laughs> back to our Batman memories, not Star Trek memories. But uh, so, Rob. I think before we lost you, <laughs> I was <laughs> handing it over to you. So. Uh, where was I? No, um, <laughs> I think probably my my first memory or something that has always stuck with me was I got a book in back in 1982, and it was called uh, Batman and Robin, actually Batman and the Teen Wonder Robin in the Case of the Laughing Sphinx. And it was one of those Fisher-Price uh, cassette tapes. It was about 45 minutes long. And uh, I just played this thing over and over and over again until my dad was like, I get it. You like Batman and Robin. Can you please find something else to play? <laughs> but uh, we just played this thing over and over again. And I realized probably in the last uh, probably a couple of years I had found the book and, you know, dusted it off and was, you know, flipping through it. And I saw Jim Aparo's name on there. And I'm like, holy cow, is that the same Jim Aparo? Because I thought, could it be from Death of the Family? Oh, it probably can't be. And the Batman and Robin look exactly the same. So that was kind of like my first, like, what I would consider first official comic book. But I just played the crap out of this thing to the point where, you know, I the tape wore down and it broke. So probably about six months ago, I found uh, an MP3 file of it. And uh, I had, like, committed the story to memory. And what really stuck with me that it was basically the origin story of Dick Grayson it starts with, you know, the circus and uh, Robin's first, he gets the costume and kind of gets sworn in. And his first night out on the town is fighting uh, alongside Batman, but it's the Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, and Penguin. And each one of them had their own little, like, vignette in the story. And they all, you know, team up at the end. And uh, it was, you know, really cheesy, really corny. But at the same time, that was kind of like the, the gateway thing. And that's just something I've always has always stuck with me. It's kind of secretly one of my favorite Batman stories, as cheesy as it might be, but I'm trying to find it uh, here. wrote down, it's uh, written, if my phone cooperates with me here, which it's not going to, so I can't bring it up to tell you who wrote it. But <laughs> so you, <laughs> uh, you can't love it that much, then, Rob. You don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I remember that uh, Aparo wrote it, and it was, uh, I just always really dug it, so... Uh, that's probably a, a big memory that uh, I wrote it and drew it. Um, that was probably my earliest memory and one that has constantly stuck with me. And you can, you know, YouTube it and listen to it. So Yeah, one of my ones I was going to mention, my earliest memories, is pretty much similar to yours. And I've talked about it to death on the show, the Until Legend of the Batman. But just like you, I just, 
I remember reading a lot, but the one that just sticks out in my head the most is like when I first got it, it was around like five or six, and I was reading the comic, but like your story, it came with the audio cassette tapes. But then one night, the power went out, where we just lost all electricity. And then I just remember spending most of that night listening to the audio tapes on like a new Walkman that like, my family just got. I just kept listening to it over and over again, like for that night. And I just pretty much attribute all of my early Batman knowledge to that moment, just listening to that audio tape, learning the history of Batman's origin and some of the other characters' origins. And like I did read that story a lot over the years as a kid, but just that one moment where that power went out, where I was just listening to it sitting in my bed just kind of taking it all in in the dark, <laughs> just getting familiar with Batman. So that's like one of my earliest uh, Batman memories that I always look upon finally because I always look at that moment as where I started my Batman knowledge at. So kind of similar, similar to yours. The audio of it might be a little cheesy now, but for sentimental reasons, I still <laughs> love listening to it from time to time. It just takes me back to that moment. And I just found out mine was written by Andrew Helfer. Ah. So there you go. How about you, Terrence? Yeah, I had uh, four big memories, and I'm going to go a little later in time, but um, one of my fondest memories is going to see Batman 1989, the Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson Batman. Um, there was so much hype for that movie, and, I mean, it was years and and, and just in magazines and clips and uh, people talking about it, and to when that day finally came, I went on opening day. I went with my friend Anthony, who I've been friends with since third grade. I'm still friends with him and talk to him all the time. And we went up there with my brother, and we we sat in the theater. The theater was packed, um, and it was so awesome to when the lights went down and it came up. And I'll never forget it because that month um, in 1989, MTV, which you know it was huge back then. I mean, every kid watched MTV all the time because they actually um, showed videos then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they did a contest that month. It was called Steal the Batmobile Contest. And you could win the Batmobile. And I, re- I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I just YouTubed it. Then they had this commercial with uh, Alexander Knox uh, like introducing it. And it comes up, Gotham City. This isn't a pretty place, but this isn't a pretty story or something like that. And uh, they had this whole thing. And the commercial's on YouTube. It's, it's fun to see. And they played it constant. They played it like every commercial break. And um, you had to watch MTV all day long on a Saturday or a Sunday, and when the bat signal showed up, you call a 1-900 number, and uh, you could win it. And, I mean, I watched that MTV all day long. I was afraid to go to the bathroom and leave, and, and it came up, and I, I all I got was busy signals because I'm sure everybody was calling. Um, but that was awesome. And what was really cool, you know, this is before YouTube and Internet and all that stuff, is that night, you know, when I went home uh, from watching the movie, because I started in the afternoon, uh, you know, it was on all the news channels, and they were showing scenes from, like, Los Angeles with, like, lines around the block and people, you know, camping out to, to have seen it that day, and they were doing movie reviews of it and showing clips. So you really kind of felt like you were really part of an event, which I, was just awesome when I was, you know, in, like, was, that was the summer between ninth and 10th grade for me when that came out. Um, and then, but my other memory, and as cool as Batman was in 89, and I've been reading the comics for about a year and a half up to that point. Um, it still, it, it wasn't my Batman. It was an awesome Batman. I, I loved it. It was so cool to see. But it still just, it wasn't the Batman that I saw in the comics. And the first time I saw that actually like played out was the very first time I ever saw Batman the Animated Series. And just the 
opening. When I mean that opening blew me away, and I'm like, this is the Batman I know. He's got the the right you know uniform on, and with the gray and the blue, and he's got the white eyes that you know change shape, and he's like a shadow in the night, and just and then when that lightning bolt struck and you see him lit up, I was just I mean. I was probably like running around my room, uh, just or the house, freaking out. Um, and um, then a, 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 my third memory that just blew me away was when The Dark Knight came out, because uh, and I actually was on vacation when that came out, and you know that was just there had never been a movie that opened that big before, you know, and after. Batman and Robin and thinking that the Batman franchise was dead and Batman Begins really didn't do that phenomenal in the box office. It did okay and it, it did good in video sales to warrant, uh, you know, a sequel, but it wasn't some blockbuster, but no movie up to that time had ever opened like The Dark Knight. Um, you know, even the, the number one movie at the time was Titanic and that opened slow. That, that built up after a while. And I I don't believe Avatar had been released yet. I think at the time The Dark Knight was the second oh, yeah. highest movie Avatar all was the time. Year after. Yeah, okay, yeah. So for it to open the way it did, it was just phenomenal. And I just had to go to the movies and see it, um, and just to see all those crowds and all those people. I mean, people were lined up, you know, to wait to get in and wait to get their seat. And movie theaters were showing nothing but The Dark Knight on all the screens, and they were having extra hours and showing it at, like, 3 a.m., and and it was just so awesome to be a part of that and know Batman was back, and he was on top, and all these people had come out for it, and from where had it been, you know, when I left the theater with Batman and Robin, I really thought, like, all right, I may never see another Batman movie in my lifetime, and and to just be a part of all that hype, it was so phenomenal. Um, it was a little bittersweet that, you know, Heath Ledger was, you know, had passed away and wouldn't be in a sequel, but it was awesome that his work was, that he did do was so celebrated. Um, and then my fourth biggest memory is, uh, when I got, when I met my wife, she had already had two children, so I, um, had, when we got married, two stepdaughters, and my youngest stepdaughter was probably about five at the time and getting to know her, and she is really, really smart, like kind of scary smart. And she just did not go for any kid shows like Dora the Explorer and that kind of stuff just bored her. She had no part of it. Like, this is just dumb. And so I was watching Batman and she's kind of like, well, what's this and what's that? And just having all the characters, especially Brave and the Bold, which was a little bit more geared for kids. But, like, well, who's that guy? And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's the penguin. Well, who is he? And, you know, and I had, you know. 25 years of comic book reading and cartoon watching the knowledge and so she was fascinated by who they were and what their origins were and where they came from and it wasn't like Dora where it was like oh that's just some random person you know it was like oh this is the Joker and he's got you know 70 years of (laughs) comic book history I can tell you about you know some of it not till you get older but you know um, and so that was like a real real bonding experience with uh, both my stepdaughters because they both got into it but it was yeah, I always think of Batman and the superheroes as kind of one of the things that kind of brought us together and really kind of bonded us, and, and uh, it was pretty awesome. So uh, those are my my four biggest Bat memories. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you, Dane? Besides the whole Nightfall thing, which I've already explained on this show, it was um, it was around the time that um, Batman Returns came out, and uh, I had gotten the – it was like a Michael Keaton Batman lifelike um, – uh, figure. I mean, it was. It's gotta be like 14 inches. And um, I used to take that to, to kindergarten every day. And I remember one time, um, 
I opened up my bag and there was a giant roach in it. So oh, man. I was like, oh man. <laughs> and then I, I closed it up really quickly and hoped that nobody saw. And um, I remember uh, it was raining that day and you know the teacher told all of us to um, to take take out our jackets, put our jackets on. So I put on my New York Mets jacket, my little tiny New York Mets jacket, and we're walking to lunch. <laughs> and the roach crawls up on my neck. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's my earliest memory with that man. Um, it's like most besides of that. <laughs> besides that, um. You know, it, it's it's got to be, um, you know, just playing with my dad. You know, um, you know, if you really ask me, that's why I love my dad, because uh, you know he used to come home tired, and he would always find time to play with me for a couple of hours. You know, I would always be Batman, of course, and he would always be have to be the Superman, and you know, that's some of my best memories. So, so probably that. That's cool. awesome. Yeah. 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 I know for me, a few more. Kind of going with like the whole, uh, I guess, family theme. One thing that sticks out to me because I could probably list a bunch of Batman the animated series in memories, <laughs> but uh, the one that I just I'll, I'll always remember is that the first uh, time it premiered on the weekdays was uh, Heart of Ice, and I just remember watching it like after school, and then like both my parents were watching it too. It's kind of like those th- that thing to like see what your kids are watching to make sure it's like not too violent or whatever. But I just remember the reaction afterward was like, well, I can't believe <laughs> how good that episode was and just how great the show was and how, like, the story was so well-written, how, like, adult-oriented it was, where we enjoyed it so much. It was, like, they sent, like, more excited than I was <laughs> after that episode. <laughs> I just remember my mom being, like, not upset with Mr. Freeze, but just really, like, he she became, like, his or he became her favorite Batman character even more than Batman after that episode. Even till this day, she still brings up that last scene with the snow globe and the, the ballerina figure dancing and that whole moment with Mr. Freeze. She even, so they kind of asking sometimes, oh, we have to come and watch it together. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that episode in years. I want to watch it again. So this, Nora. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of gets it every time. So just like having that experience is like, well, my parents actually really like something that I really liked, <laughs> like maybe more so than I did at the time, but it was just cool to hear like to have that where they enjoyed it just as much as I did. Of, out of all the Batman the Animated Series episodes that I watched for the first time, that one always sticks out to me too. Like uh, a, a one for me is uh, going uh, – I had a set of cousins that uh, we would go over to their house in the summer. Then uh, midway through the summer, we'd kind of go back and forth between each other's houses and kind of, you know, hang out for like a week or two or something like that. And it was always interesting going to somebody else's house that lived farther away that, ooh, I wonder what channels you get. And they were one of the first ones to have cable and go, I don't even know what cable is. And my cousin was like, we have like 900 channels. I'm like, how are we going to watch all this stuff? And, you know, of course it was probably like 30 channels, but it sure seemed like 900 compared to the three we used to get. But uh, going through their channels, and I, I want to say it was Fox. I don't know if it was there. And I remember him saying, we got a Batman channel. I'm like, you don't have a Batman channel. He's like, every day at 4 o'clock, a live cartoon is on. I'm like, live cartoon? What, what are you talking about? And it was the 66 uh, Batman uh, TV show and he flipped it on with we her at 4 o'clock and I just like froze 
and they were having like a, a two hour or a, a, a week of marathon of nothing but Batman. And I was just froze for that whole entire, you know, week or so at their house that uh, it was constantly on. That was probably the first time I saw any live action other than like the, the super friends or, you know, stuff like that, where I was like, Oh my gosh, they could do this for real. And then, you know, a few years later we get the, you know, 89 movie and just like, I, I almost had the same experience that you did. Terrence went with my best friend and my mom took us to the theater and, you know, all that stuff. But just seeing that 66, uh, Batman TV show, just being in reruns and just seeing all the villains. And I didn't know what campy was. I just knew that it just, it was so cool to watch and see them, you know, lift up the bust of uh, Shakespeare and slide down the bat poles. And we would try and figure out, okay, how do they get dressed sliding down a pole? So we would go out to the uh, school that was right around the corner and we would try and, you know, okay, you, you, you hold these sweatpants and I'm going to see if I can slide down this pole and, you know, get dressed. And like you could kind of get one leg in the pair of sweatpants and maybe fall and almost break your arm. And we go, man, they're putting capes and utility belts. How are they doing that? And my cousin goes, well, he's Batman. That's how he does it. We were just like, oh, yeah, we've got to be Batman and Robin to be able to pull that off. So those are just little memories of my cousin and I trying to figure out how Batman's doing all this stuff. And, you know, like you said, uh, Tim, making sure, you know, your kids aren't watching anything. But, you know, here we are back in the schoolyard trying to jump, you know, <laughs> jungle gyms and, you know, make all these leaps. And I don't know how we didn't end up with broken legs and arms, but just the things that we would try and come up with. And I just think that's the cool thing just about comics or just anything that you like is just what that does to your imagination. And, you know, even now being, you know, uh, knocking on 40's door that the two of us can go, remember when we used to watch Batman and Robin? And, you know, I was like, do you still watch that stuff? And he's like, oh, no, 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 do you? And I was like, well, of course I do. He's like, oh, thank God. I thought you were going to say no. So, yeah, of course I do, too. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just those. Yeah, it's just those cool connections that you make with people that you find out, like, wow, you had the same experience that I do. And, you know, being here at this comic convention going, all of us are in the same room, all liking the same thing. You don't have to explain anything to anybody. You can just look across the room and go, hey, man, nice shirt. Like, you too, buddy, you know. Yeah. So th those are the type of memories that, you know, I just think of that, you know, brought me to where I am. And, you know, all those pieces had to get in the right you know, place to uh, end up here. So I wouldn't trade any of those memories or jumping off jungle gyms, trying to put on a pair of sweatpants <laughs> on a pole. So yeah, that's what's great. I mean, as cool as it is being fans still of Batman and comics all that. Now it's the one best part about being a kid when you're into that. Just the stuff you either read or see, like you get to play with your friends and all that, like try to act it out afterwards. With like you said, Rob having good imaginations. That's another thing that I always remember too. Pretty much after. So the first few episodes of Batman the Animated Series, me and my brothers would always like play together. Like I just remember when I saw Clayface for the first time. That was the first time I ever heard of Clayface in the Feet of Clay episode. Like, oh man, this is the ultimate Batman villain. He could shape shift. He could create uh, weapons with his arms and all that. So it was just amazing. Like, okay, we're gonna play Batman. I'm Clayface. I'm gonna be Clayface all the time now. <laughs> and then like a year later, me and my brothers would just. That's when we first started collecting comics when Nightfall was going on. That summer of '93. Just reading those and like seeing all the villains in there, Bane like really blew me away. That was like another villain I really wanted to be, and then just getting introduced to, I guess not introduced, but seeing characters from the animated series into the actual comics now would kind of really stood out to me too when I was collecting the Nightfall series because really that was for me anyway the perfect series to jump on to is really getting started to collecting Batman comics because 
each issue had a different villain in there, and you're being familiar with it from the animated series just made it even cooler for me. Like, oh, there's Scarecrow, there's Poison Ivy. And then, of course, I knew who the Joker was, but certain villains like Poison Ivy and Scarecrow, who I was introduced to the animated series, it was cool to see them in the comics for the first time. But, yeah, like, like the summer of 93 always sticks out to me, too. You know, there was no new Batman movie. That's the summer I started my comic collecting. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have to say probably the one Batman memory that would stick with me forever was just seeing Batman Begins for the first time and just thinking to myself, like, Yes, finally. This is the Batman I've been wanting to see on the big screen since since ever, really. Like you said, Terrence, 89 was cool and all, but that still wasn't the Batman and the like stories that we wanted to see on the big screen. And seeing Bruce get his training was awesome, and then just seeing how they just nailed the personality of both Bruce and Batman in, in that movie, which just, it blew me away. I just remember uh, seeing that scene where he's like, uh, interrogating Flask in the rain, out hanging him upside down and just yelling at him. That's like the moment I go, yes, this is the Batman movie I'm waiting for. And then just the end with the Joker card, I'll never forget that. That was like one of the few things I didn't get spoiled on in, before I saw the movie, so I didn't see it coming. And when they show that Joker card in the theater erupted with cheers and applause, it was like a moment I'll never forget. It was just cool as a Batman fan to be experiencing that for the first time with other Batman fans just geeking out over that awesome moment at the end of the movie. So... Probably seeing Batman Begins for the first time breaks pretty high up there, just for me as a Batman fan, just because it's like, uh, it, it's finally happened. <laughs> a great Batman movie has been put on the big screen for the first time. Like, now everyone could see, like, the, the real Batman, how he's meant to be, not just, like, the people who know him from the comics and the animated series. Finally, like, a general audience would get to see why we love this character so much. Yeah, I had a similar experience. And the scene in that movie, too, that was up there with the ones you mentioned, was when... um it's a little different than year one, but it's it's so similar to year one when he's trapped by the police. And this one, I think, in the in the movie, I think he's in Arkham Asylum. And in year one, he's just in a dilapidated building. Um, but when he's surrounded and there's no way out, and he uses the bats and their echolocation to get out of there, I, that was just, I was like, yeah, I was just jumping out of my seat. I'm like, this is from year one. This is one so great. So, yeah, that was an awesome moment. Or even uh I would make the case for the last five minutes of The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, especially that, you know, when uh, not Alex, um, Alfred looks up and uh, the camera pe- or uh, cuts to Bruce and he's all yeah. smiling and stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that too because for those who weren't spoiled on it, you're just, I just remember myself sitting there thinking, oh man, is Batman dead? Is Bruce dead? Is no one going to show him? Is he going to come back? It's that anticipation to waiting and then it finally happened. It was like a kind of a, Fire really kind of, whew, he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, the, the feelings I had right from when, like, Talia stabs him till the end of the movie, I have never felt in a movie before. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. My palms are sweating. My stomach was in knots. I'm like, is he going <laughs> to die? Is he not? And I kept thinking about the podcast, which was before I was on it, but where Tim was like, well, I would hate if this bomb, if there's a bomb and he takes it out. And like, it was, I was like, could this actually be like that guy Tim described? Did, did he see an advanced copy of it? And I'm like, is he good? Because I didn't know anything about the ending. I mean, I knew Talia was the reveal of that. Other than that, I knew nothing. So I was, and I, I kind of thought he was, was going to kill him, and I was just like going crazy. And I was also scared because I was like, oh, please don't give us, you know, um, uh, one of the endings like Memento and The Prestige and 
was that other movie he did with Leonardo DiCaprio? Inception, yeah, where it's like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe it does. And then no one knows the ending. I'm like, please don't give it. Just give me something concrete. Please don't let me walk out of here not knowing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, that was – my wife – even said she's like I've never seen you like that. I thought you were gonna like burst into tears. <laughs> you know, like no, I would I wouldn't do that. And like me, mom, like yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's funny you said that. I I had the same reaction, and I, my wife actually reached over and grabbed my hand at, towards the end of the movie, and she kind of like squeezed it. And I was like, what are you doing? And she just kind of like tilted her head. She's like, you know, I, I know what you're feeling right now. I'm like no, I'm not. Not that I, I don't know if I felt that I could cry or I just was so like you, you can't end the movie like this and uh, just seeing Alfred at the uh, gravesite and you know crying and everything I'm like oh we can't end on this you know and then you just like that that look of like as soon as Alfred is sitting there drinking his tea I'm like he's there he's there he's there you know that's what Alfred wants so and just those that you said just the wave of emotions and your stomach is a knots going oh I don't want to walk out of this theater being ticked off you know <laughs> You mentioned something about uh, Batman Begins. It it was almost like between watching Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, like it was almost two different movies, but in the same universe. I saw Batman Begins. I think I was actually going through the Internet. I had no no idea that they were making another Batman, and it was like a week before the movie was released. I'm like, how did I not know this? So I saw it on like a like a 6 o'clock, and there was like, 12 people in the theater and I remember thinking gosh this movie suck and I didn't know it and I walked out of the theater going this thing this place should have been packed I, I couldn't understand why there weren't you know that many people in the theater then you know you know four years later you get the dark night and I'm like yeah this is how Batman Begins should have been received I felt like you know a guy that I worked with is like you know I can't believe they're only doing two Batmans with the dark night rises I'm like what you didn't see Batman Begins he's like what are you talking about what? <laughs> have you guys come across anybody like that that still thinks it's just you know the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises? No, I'm pretty. Su- I was surprised when you said that. Like, wow, I didn't. I really didn't think there was people out there like that. But now there. Now I know there is because yeah, you just think the Dark Knight trilogy now after Rises, but apparently not everyone knows. Hey, uh, another Batman memory, which also from the Dark Knight Rises, and it kind of reminded me a kid in school today had a shirt that said Bane Chiropractic, and then underneath it said Give Your Back a Break, and it had Bane's mask on it. But the the scene where uh, Bane lifts uh, Bruce and you know, Batman and breaks his back or dislocates his back right out of Nightfall, that was, yeah. I mean, I once again, I, almost, I like, jumped out. I re- literally, like, jumped out of my seat in the movie theater. I could not believe I was watching that, and it was such, like, an homage to... I felt to all the fans, all the true fans who've been reading the books and, you know, care about the character. That was like, I felt like that was put in for us. Like, you know, so, and I think a lot of other directors and stuff might not have done that, but it was just so cool that that was there. Yeah. I remember talking to my parents. They saw it like a couple of weeks after that. And one of the first questions my mom had, she's like, did anything like that ever happen to Batman in the comics? And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a, a big beat, and, and Nolan kind of sounded like at first that he might not do, I can't remember what he exactly said, but kind of gave the impression, like, no, we're going to do our own thing. So, like you said, that was just one of those things where I was like, yes, they, they referenced, you know, the Dark Knight, or the Dark Knight, uh, Nightfall, so I thought that was cool that, you know, some people that may not have been comic book fans got, you know, a, a taste of some of the stuff that, you know, as comic book fans have been, you know, 
wanting to see for so long. Yeah, totally agree. That was another highlight of seeing The Dark Knight Rises for me, too. But now we're just hoping with Batman Superman or Man of Steel 2, we get new good memories <laughs> for seeing a Batman movie, and it won't be Batman and Robin all over again, which I highly doubt it will. But yeah. hopefully new memories will be created with the new set of movies or whatever they're going to do with. <laughs> At least one team up, we know for sure. You know, I, I was too young to really notice, but um, you know when Batman and Robin came out, was George Clooney George Clooney, or was he just, um, you know, the, the guy that you saw on TV? No, he was a huge star. He was, he was yeah. a big-time star, yeah. 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 There was a, a piece they did on Entertainment Tonight where they're in the, uh, I don't know if it was uh, Skywalker Ranch or wherever they were at, but he was doing, like, some voiceover work, and they were interviewing him there, and he's like, well, I'm finishing up doing my, uh, what do they call it, ADR or something like that. And he's like, I hope I don't kill this uh, movie franchise. <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was like, dude, you almost did. And but like yeah. you said, George George Clooney was such a big star. I think that it was one of those cases where they hired a star instead of hiring. I mean, the, the script, you know, is yeah. still is what it is. But they were going for all these star powers rather than getting somebody that was the best fit for the role. So, you mean you're telling me Alicia Silverstone wasn't the right fit for Batgirl? <laughs> yeah, couldn't even fit in the costume. Yeah. You know, I, I I never got that why they were calling her you know fat girl. I I thought she looked pretty hot in the costume. I mean, she couldn't act worth a darn in it, but I didn't think it, it was that bad. I kind of found her kind of attractive in the outfit, personally. I think there were rumors out that she just couldn't fit in the costume. I guess fat in Hollywood is not fat in the real world. And they had to, like, put Vaseline on her and stuff to, like, squeeze her in there. And a lot of what you see is, like, stunt doubles and, and, you know, stunt women, actually. But, um, yeah, I don't know. But um, George Clooney was in that From Dusk Till Dawn with uh, Quentin Tarantino. I thought he was pretty pretty badass in that movie. I thought he was really good. So I was really looking forward to Batman and... Boy, was I shocked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he had been on ER um, for a while up to then, so he was a big-time star. I'm sure if we ever did a painful Batman memory topics, that's going to all be our... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> seen Batman and Robin in the theater. And that's one I've still tried to watch that I've thought, there's got to be some redeeming qualities to it. And usually when the movie ends, I'm like, there, they got something right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I about yeah. to say that. <laughs> only thing worth watching is the end credits. <laughs> Just because <laughs> yeah. it's over. Maybe Mr. Freeze's helmet. That was pretty that. cool. Nah, even that. That. <laughs> I thought Freeze looked good in the movie. And I thought Poison Ivy looked good. but She had one good outfit where she actually looked like Poison Ivy. The scene where that auction whatever, where they used the bad credit card. She actually <laughs> looked like Poison Ivy there. I'll give it that. <laughs> I just remember the guy behind me when the back credit card comes out. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was just, like, extremely loud. You can hear some other snickers. But it was, I'll never forget that. Every time we see somebody pull out a credit card to this day, I just hear that guy going, oh, my God. Yeah. And well, to pull the show back to a positive, another great memory was the Nightfall. I think Nightfall has been the the most hyped and, and best-selling Batman, you know, um, comic book arc. And I think it was coming out weekly at that time. I think Detective Comics and Batman were publishing twice a month. And uh, yeah. just Batman being 
the the center of the comic book world again because the image guys and and Marvel were kind of dominating for a while and just everybody reading it and the story seemed to just build and build and it just it felt like they just kept getting new readers every week um, and of course you'd go in and you'd see books from like part one selling for like thirty bucks and you think I'm gonna be a millionaire and I've got this great story uh, and it had like every Batman villain and just it was before you could go on the internet and see the solicitations and know what I didn't even know what the covers would look like you know each week so to go and see the new cover and they had some awesome covers with Sam Keith and um, it just um, I think Kelly the Kelly Jones do some of those covers too and yeah yeah and I, I you know their art was amazing and just the whole nightfall hype and uh the the John Paul Valley Asbats um costume had been kind of shown beforehand but knowing that that was coming and then the new Batman and what I really loved about Nightfall which I think kind of gets um overlooked but I'm sure it's not overlooked by you Rob is no, what a um uh role that um Tim Drake played in it because being a huge Tim Drake fan being a huge Robin fan it was awesome that he was like such a big part of the whole thing, and you, you kind of, you know, some way saw the story through his eyes, because as uh, Jean-Paul Valley starts acting crazy and, and becoming, you know, uh, more hardcore and over the edge, Tim was the one who really is like, you know, this is wrong and this is not right, and they they have a confrontation, and um, so yeah, Nightfall for me was was an awesome Batman memory. That's same here, and I. I can't remember what issue, like, I came in on it. I think it was, like, issue two or three, so I didn't have to go that far back. But I think when we got to, like, issue 15 or so, I was, like you said, I was going, I just had got my driver's license and still in high school, so I was driving to the comic book store, you know, constantly, you know, every week, which seemed like every day, (laughs) to pick up comics. But I was wanting to say, well, I wanted to see where the seeds of this started. So I paid... $35, $35, like when issue 15 was out, for the, not the first appearance of Azrael, not the Sword of Azrael, but when they get back to Gotham where Tim is training uh, Azrael, um, I paid 15 bucks for, or 15, about 30 bucks for that uh, that first issue, and I thought, man, all these, if this single issue is 30 bucks, I, I can't imagine what all these are going to be when we wrap up this whole series. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if the whole lot is worth $30, but that was the, the first comic book that I, the comic book series that I bought every single issue. And I uh, remember the guys telling me like, well, we can start a poll list for you. I'm like, poll list. What is that? You know, he's like, well, that way, you know, explain the whole thing of the poll list. And I thought, what an ingenious event. You mean I don't have to try and rush here to get here when the store opens? I can just show up right before you close and get my comics? So I thought that was I thought that was a brilliant idea, and I thought they were the ones that created it, and little did I know that every comic book store has a poll list. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then, the, you know, sorry. It was my comic book store, but we were too little, <laughs> so they even suggested that, but we were there every weekend in those nightfall issues, and they never once told us about a pull list. Yeah. I was nine and my older brother was like 11, so maybe we were too little to, for them to suggest it to us, but I didn't find out about pull list until years later. When you guys were talking about uh, comics and memories, what was the first Batman comic that you guys like can remember getting? Do you guys have any memory like that? Was it Nightfall or, you know, kind of curious? Me, me for mine... One that I remember physically picking up was the start of the year three story that kind of was the, you know, being Robin Fay was the 
introduction for Tim Drake for the first time where it looked like Dick Grayson might go back to being Robin. I remember going to a 7-Eleven um, here in this very city that I'm in right now in Columbus, Ohio, that uh, was visiting my aunt and was getting bored sitting in the living room with all the adults. And I said, can I go get a candy bar or something? Like, yeah, there's a 7-Eleven around the corner. Saw comic books there, spun it around, saw this Batman year three. I thought, meh, I'll pick it up, and I was hooked right there. Nightfall, like I said, was the first series I started collecting comics regularly, but uh, it was the untold legend of the Batman stories, uh, comics and audio tapes. That's like, I don't know if it counts as a comic because they were bundled with the audio tapes, but that was the first like comics I remember reading and remembering, so I always attribute to my first Batman comic as that. Yeah, for me it was Death of the... Um Death in the Family, the trade paperback, um, and then the, the the issue. I bought it right when Death of Death in the Family came out because they came out with that trade paperback right away. And then the very next Batman issue that came out was the issue um, following Death of the Family, which I think was four thirty, if memory serves. Um, and so that was the first actual comic comic I bought, um, and then. Death in the Family was the first trade paperback, and DC Comics is taking thousands and thousands and thousands of my dollars ever since. So they, they hooked me. Yeah. For me, I think it was going into um, just a local comic shop that closed like two months later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember going in there, and I just picked out a bundle of old Ghost Rider comics, I think it was must have been like two dollars for like twenty of them. I mean they they were crap. But I remember uh, going through all of the comics and there was one Batman in it and it was all folded up. It, it was folded in half. But I can't remember which or what issue it was. Detective um, Comics number twenty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was like ninety-three, ninety-four, maybe even ninety-five. This, I, I know the second comic I got was um, uh, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, uh, but I, I wish I kept it. I wish I kept that issue. I wish I, you know, remembered, but I, I just can't remember. I can remember all the crap Ghost Riders. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I think we had a fun stroll down memory lane, <laughs> or Batman memory lane. And just like I said before, hopefully we'll get new memories with either Hopefully the new movies and new TV shows, new comics, or just whatever new Batman stuff there is. <laughs> cool. All right, so we can get into some news, right, Tim? Some news, if you want to call it news. <laughs> there wasn't that much going on the last few weeks. But who cares about the new creative team? I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if going to be news uh, you're happy about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a new creative team for Batwoman. Who cares? Um... But Ben Affleck talked about being Batman for the first time ever. It seems like the criticism hasn't really hurt him, so that's always good. Yeah, well, I remember when we were talking about when it first got out, we were saying, I wonder if Ben Affleck looks at this stuff or how would he react to it. But I thought it was funny that Warner Brothers actually prepared him for it, saying, you know, this is going to happen when you get cast. There's going to be fan backlash. <laughs> Warner Brothers sure is experienced with hearing fan backlash when it comes to casting Batman characters. So I thought it was funny that they prepared him. And just his reaction to when he read the first comment from what he heard, was like, no. <laughs> just the comment he read, his reaction was pretty funny. So, like like you said, Dave, it is good that he is having a good sense of humor about the whole thing. It's not taking it too seriously and saying, like, 
oh, why don't they like me, or why, what's up with the fans and all that. He's not talking down on them either, so he just has a good attitude, which is good to hear. Yeah. Did you guys see the, his appearance on Jimmy Fallon, the whole thing? Yeah. I saw that yeah. he was going to be on, and I uh, ended up taping it thinking, I wonder if he's going to say anything. I almost felt like I was back in the 89 days when Michael <laughs> Keaton would go on talk shows. He could talk about Batman. That's kind of how I was. And um, I had forgotten that I DVR'd it, and I saw the clip online. And I was like, oh, crap, I DVR'd this thing. <laughs> so after watching the clip, I wanted to see the whole you know, entire interview, see if he talked about it anymore. But I thought that was cool that he talked about it. It was kind of, you know, I, I wouldn't say lighthearted, but he sounded really serious. Like he's got a, a, a an idea of what he had and uh, what he would like to do with the character, what Snyder wants to do. So I'm, I'm kind of pumped for it now after kind of hearing him talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, Darius. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the, the stories with, like, reading the reactions were kind of cute, but I kind of really didn't care. What got me excited was, like, what Rob was saying. He he said that, you know, in order to do the role, you know, they called him in and they showed him what their plans were and, and showed him, I think, some of the script and what their idea for the character was to win him over and that it was really cool and a fresh take on it and not just copying what the Nolans did, but, but having a take on it. And he seemed really excited about it and like he wanted to talk about it and really wanted to tell him it because it was really cool, but he, he couldn't at that point. And so that got me really excited. Like, yeah, they got, they got something good here. And, and I think if they, you know, had called him in and the idea was crap, I don't think he would have done it. So, I was more excited by those comments than, you know, him reading Internet Reaction or something like that. Yeah, I was just going to say, like you said, Rob, after seeing it, I've always kind of been in the middle of the Ben Affleck thing. I don't hate it. I don't think it's great either. But it's kind of did kind of warm me up to the idea more where, like you said, Rob or Terrence, about him going to the script, reading the script and saying how good it was. And like I think you're right where he wouldn't just take any role. If it wasn't good, he wouldn't take it. So after seeing the whole interview, it did kind of get me more excited about what we, we can expect from his Batman in the Man of Steel sequel. I, I like kind of being in this lull mode. I'm not, I'm excited for it, but I'm kind of have some reservations rather than be, you know, kind of like, okay, we've already seen Batman Begins and just the anticipation is so great for the Dark Knight that it's kind of like, I almost feel like I'm in my Batman Begins stage. I have, I have no idea what to expect. I'm sure it's going to be good or they wouldn't be uh, doing it. So it was just, you could kind of, like you said, Terrence, you kind of see that he was getting excited as he was talking about it, like he was wanting to say more. It almost looked like he kind of had to restrain himself to just kind of just answer the simple question and kind of move on from there with it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think a few days before he went on, but it might have been a week ago, that when some Warner Brothers executive was at, like, was at some event and someone asked him about Batman and Superman, he kind of gave a description of what the Batman's going to be. He was calling him, like, seasoned, uh, tired, <laughs> like a tired Batman, but he's seasoned. And he said something else I can't remember exactly, but to me it kind of sounded a little similar to, like, a Batman that we kind of saw in The Dark Knight Rises, except this one had years of being Batman instead of how it was in Dark Knight Rises where he missed those eight years. So, I don't know, it just kind of got me thinking, is it going to be something similar like that where he's been doing this for a while and then, he kind of doesn't want to do it anymore, or is it just going to be where he just he's done it for a while, he's experienced, and it's not really where he wants to quit, but he's just like mentally and physically, I guess, drained or whatever, and is Superman going to kind of revive him in the movie, like to have that renewal of being a crime fighter again? I just thought that was kind of interesting. It kind of got me thinking, is it going to be a little similar to how Batman was in Dark Knight Rises, or 
Is he just saying that because he's an executive and he doesn't really know what's going on in that script? So I thought that was kind of I, interesting. I kind of thought that the same way too. Like I, I was visioning it like a, a firefighter. Like you have this fire team that's trying to put out this fire, and it's the problem is so big that once the next uh, the, it, you have to get another firehouse team there, but all of a sudden once the new team arrives and there's fresh blood, you're like, oh, thank God, you know, now I'm not in this battle alone. So if they're going with the Batman's been doing this a while, maybe he is tired and thinking, oh, I'm fighting all these criminals by myself and now I've got help. So maybe that's a way they could possibly be looking at it too, that, you know, maybe these are the seeds for putting a Justice League together, like, hey, maybe we need to find more people like us or something. That's pretty smart because uh, the biggest criticism of The Dark Knight Rises, even from, like, hardcore fans, was people couldn't get over Bruce Wayne taking a multi-year hiatus uh, as Batman. They just, that people just could not get past that. And um, so to have a Batman who's been Batman for year after year and not, you know, taking some time off to wear a robe and grow a beard and walk around with a cane um, in his uh, mansion and play Howard Hughes uh, would address, you know, a lot of people's complaints and win some people over. All right, so that leads us into our conversation with Alex. So, Terrence, why don't you tell us what Alex said and if oh. he's really Alex Rodriguez or not, because he no. could be. He could be. He might have hit a grand slam tonight, so... Um, <laughs> His his letter does go into a roid rage towards the end, so it could be Alex Rodriguez, yeah. Um, all right, so Alex sent us a great email. He says, awesome episode. Speaking of episode 38, I was following your plan to take down the comic cast pretty well until the cosplay part, unless it was misdirection because Joe was on the podcast. I think a few kinks may need to be worked out, especially since Dustin was sentenced from the gulag was removed giving those zeros to a couple of the books. Although I think it would have been a worst punishment to read the ventriloquist issue again, and I agree that issue was terrible. Um, he says, even though the Joker issue may have been weak, it made me realize that I shouldn't get, is- get issues of villains I really don't care to-, to see the origin of. That way I can just use their old origins and retcon in my mind whatever doesn't work. I highly doubt I'll be getting a better origin for Harley Quinn than Mad Love. That is true. There is no better origin for anybody <laughs> than Mad Love. Um, and I know enough about the Court of Owls that no matter how good the issue is, I'm sick of hearing their influence on Gotham. Scott Snyder's Court of Owls was great, and I don't like seeing it watered down. My favorite issue this Villains Week was The Riddler. I was surprised it was written by Ray Fox and enjoyed this characterization much more than Scott Snyder has been writing him. It reminded me of Batman the Animated Series, which is always good. He's such a fun character. I'm really looking forward to your thoughts on the issue and the rest of the villains. I know Dane wasn't the biggest fan of the Mr. Freeze annual, so if he read it, I'm wondering how he thought it compared. I really enjoyed Mongol as well. So I'm sure we'll get to those in the comic review section, but correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry, I think it's actually got an opposite with Mr. Freeze. Dane was the one who actually liked it. I was the one who was critical of it. Okay, yeah, that's right, because we didn't like it. Yeah. All right, so... All right, some hero versus villain questions. Which superhero and villain do you think have the best rivalry? What is your favorite rivalry outside of comics? For best rivalry, I'm going with Superman versus Lex Luthor. And outside of comics, Goku versus Vegeta, I think. Vegeta. I don't know. Vegeta, okay, trust, sorry. Velveeta from uh, Dragon Ball Z. Homer versus George Bush is a close second. So, um, yeah, I... 
for supervillain and villain, I gotta go Batman Joker. And if we have four Batman Jokers, that's fine. And uh, out favorite rivalry outside, I gotta go Yankees Red Sox. But how about you guys? Favorite rivalries? Yeah, Joker and Batman. That's always gonna be number one. But I guess another one I really like is uh, Hal Jordan Sinestro rivalry that they have, especially when Jeff Johns is writing Sinestro and Hal Jordan. I mean, that's some awesome stuff in there, especially yeah. when both of them think. <laughs> They're the good guys, which makes it even better to read about. Yeah, definitely. And outside of comics, uh, Alex's Goku versus Vegeta is actually a really good one if you're into the Dragon Ball Z. But um, you know what? I want to go. I wanted to go something Star Wars, but the Luke Darth Vader thing isn't. I don't consider it a rivalry. I would kind of go towards more like Obi Wan Vader, even though it was very short <laughs> amount of time that they had that rivalry on. The planet Mustafar, where he went to the dark side, and they had their duel. Now, that's really good, because really all of uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, uh, and even Star Wars for a bit, is a rivalry between Vader and Obi-Wan over Luke, and, like, who's Luke going to side with and choose. So, yeah, I think that's really good. That's a good good point, too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, For me, I think I'll go, uh, like like you said, Terrence, if we have four Batman and Jokers, that's... uh, Almost a no-brainer. <laughs> I want to go, well, Batman and the Penguin, but yeah, it's uh, Batman and the Joker. But <laughs> <laughs> now just to be different. But other rivalries being that I am a Buckeyes fan. I'm in Columbus today. I've got to go with the High State Buckeyes and the rivalry with the big poop stain up north Michigan. Oh, I O. Probably just gonna have to go generic and say Batman versus Joker because I mean, there's really nothing that compares to it. I mean, yeah, you can compare other things to it, but there's just no way that those two compare to each other. Um, as for outside of comics, it's not really a rivalry, but I'm gonna say Qui Gon versus the Jedi Council. That's actually that's, that's pretty that's pretty that's good. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could also say Plastic Man versus the, what was his rival, the top or the... the head or something. Yeah, top head or something, yeah. Uh, and um, Alex has one more question for us. He said, what is your favorite superhero battle of all time? Mine is Batman versus Gotham City Police Department in year one. I love how they did a homage, to, I almost said homage, an homage to the battle in Batman, the Mask of the Phantasm. I love any time he goes up against the police... Uh, and that that is definitely good, and it's always good Batman versus the police. But I'm going to go, my favorite battle of all time is Batman versus Superman in The Dark Knight Returns. Um, I love that. For me, I'm going to go a, a big battle. The final episode of Justice League Unlimited, Destroyer, where Darkseid attacks Earth, and Justice League has to team up with some villains. This is a global battle where you're just seeing different scenes of different heroes and villains battling Darkseid's parademons. And, uh, but the one that's part of that battle that sticks out to me is where Batman and Superman and Luthor actually confront Darkseid. And they're fighting on the in the Daily Planet, and then Darkseid shoots his uh, Omega beams at Batman, and Batman's able to dodge him, and Darkseid makes the comment where no one's ever able to dodge my Omega beams before. So it's cool to see Batman actually taking on Darkseid. And then when Superman actually tells Darkseid, like, I'm actually going to unleash my full power on you. I've been holding back. Like, I feel like I'm living in a world made of cardboard, but now you're going to see what I'm truly capable of. And this unleashes on Darkseid, which was awesome. So probably that would be my one of my favorite superhero battles. One of my superhero favorite superhero battles, and I may get booed for saying this, but I just recently watched, I'm probably going to get the title wrong, but the animated movie, um, 
the Superman and Batman with uh, the Supergirl, where he's fighting Darkseid. Uh, that battle in the cornfield in Kansas. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's something I just rewatch over and over and over. I just I thought that was just done so well in that animated uh, feature. And rather than uh, trying to think of the you know million different Batman things, I'm going to go with that one. It's the freshest in my mind. And just having recently watched it, and every time that I do think about putting that in, I that's just one scene that I just pops out. Is just that you know these two you know, gods fighting in the middle of this cornfield in the middle of Kansas, which kind of reminds me of, you know, the Man of Steel, but I thought, you know, this one is done, you know, a million times better. I think the best part of that fight was when Darkseid fires his Omega Beams at Supergirl, and she leads it back towards him, and she does, like, that cool flip of him where he, yeah. like, kicks the back of his knees, and he just flips over and the laser beams hit him. Yeah. And for me, it, it wasn't much of a fight as much as it was one person beating up the other person. But um, I'm going to go with uh, Jason versus Joker at the uh, conclusion of uh, death, of, death in the family. <laughs> um, there, there's something just so brutal about it that, uh, you know, freaking 15 years after reading it for the first time, I just can't get over. So I'm probably going to go with that. Yeah, especially those panels where you see Jason's face as Joker sitting with the crowbar on there. Yeah. Like, those yeah. stuff that sticks with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so that was our... Uh, conversation with Alex. So, Alex, thank you very much, and um, go back to taking steroids and hitting home runs for the Yankees, and we look forward to your next uh, letter. All you can, your uh, arbitration hearings on September 1st. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. If you need some character witnesses, we will yeah. be there for you. Alright, so we, we are going to introduce a new segment, hopefully, um, to the show, and uh, Terrence, why don't you tell the good people about it? Alright, we are going to introduce a new trivia section here, and uh, just have some fun, we're not going to gamble and bet on it, and we're going <laughs> to use the honor system, so no quick Wikipedia searches or uh, anything like that, but what I'll do is I will... Um, ask the question and ask all three of our uh, Bat Fans Without Pants members their answers, and then we'll give the answers at the end. So you at home playing or listening on your iPod or jogging without pants on like us um, can play as long too. So first, and we will go by age today, so Rob will answer first, then Tim and Dane will, being the youngest, will get the most time to think of his answer. After so, Terrence, when he first said this idea, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. But then I got scared, like, oh, what if we show that we're bad Batman fans and we don't get any of them right? <laughs> yes. Well, it'll be part of the fun. <laughs> Staying up late to do a Batman podcast just shows you're a Batman fan. So, <laughs> yeah. regardless of my trivia questions on that. Um, but ever the perfectionist, Tim, I, I guarantee you'll do well. All right. So, question number one. Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. Robin, a.k.a. Batgirl, missing person, and also the spoiler, her father was Arthur Brown, the criminal known as Clue Master. So in what decade did Clue Master make his first comic book appearance? In the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s? So Rob, no. when, when did the 90s. Clue Master... 90s. Rob says the 90s. Tim? I'm going by how sure Rob sounded. I'm going to say the 90s. <laughs> Tim says the 90s. Dane, what do you say? I'm sorry, I missed the question. Stephanie Brown, <laughs> a.k.a. Robin, a.k.a. Batgirl, a.k.a. Spoiler, now a missing person on milk cartons. Her father was Arthur Brown, the criminal known as Clue Master. In what decade did Clue Master make his first comic book appearance? The 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s? Just to be original, I'm going to say 80s. 80s, all right. Question number two. 
Which Batman femme fatale made her comic book uh, made her? Let me try that again. Number two, <laughs> which Batman femme fatale made her comic appearance first? So which one of these appeared in comics first? Poison Ivy or Talia Al Ghul? Rob, what do you say? Which came first, Poison Ivy or Talia Al Ghul? I'm going to say Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Tim, what do you say? I'm going with Poison Ivy also. Po- Poison Ivy. Dane, Poison Ivy or Talia Al Ghul, which came first? Uh, Ivy. Poison Ivy. And third and last question, which comic book character was the first to appear in comic book publication as Nightwing? So who was the first Nightwing, and and not in New 52 continuity, but in actual publication date? Was it Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson, or Hal Jordan? Who was the first Nightwing? Rob? I'm going to go with Clark Kent. Tim, who will you go with? I'm going with Clark Kent, too. I'm pretty sure on that one. (laughs) Clark Kent. And Dane, who do you go with? Whatever Plastic Man's real name is. Uh, (laughs) That will in something, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. O'Brien. So, all right. So, question number one, when did Clue Master make his first appearance? Sorry, guys. He made his first appearance in Detective Comics number 351, which came out in May 1966. Wow. It's from the 60s. Okay. All right. Um, who appeared first, Poison Ivy or Talia al Ghul? You guys all got it right, Poison Ivy. She appeared first in Batman 181, which came out in June 1966. Talia Al Ghul appeared first in Detective Comics 411, which came out in May 1971. So she uh, beat her by, was that five years? And which comic book character was the first to appear in comic book publication as Nightwing? Dane, you got it right. It was a trick question. It was a plastic. <laughs> no. I knew it. I knew yeah. it. I knew it. Just kidding. It, it, you guys are good on that one. It was Clark Kent. He appeared in Superman 158, which came out in January 1963. And, um, he came he in the uh, bottled city of Candor. Uh, Clark Kent took the persona Nightwing, kind of modeled on Batman, and Jimmy Olsen was Flamebird. Uh, and then later on, another hero, Van Z, Superman's cousin in Candor, took on Nightwing. And then later on, Dick Grayson took the identity as a tribute to Van Z. So good job, guys. I was the only one I wasn't sure on was the Clue Master, but Rob answered it so quick. Nineties, like, oh, okay, so that has to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I blame you, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I, I didn't know that. I guess I just assumed when Robin got his series that, oh, Stephanie Brown. Okay, well, her dad, Clue Master. I didn't realize he had a, a life before the Robin series. Shame on me. <laughs> and in all fairness, uh, these were all three questions that I got out of the. Um, while reading the Batman encyclopedia on the toilet, as a matter of fact. Uh, and there were all things that I didn't know and said, hey, look at that. Hey, look, at that. I didn't know that. And that's so if you get it wrong, then don't worry, because I didn't know it either. So, all right. And I actually had a special fourth bonus question based on the uh, TV show Smallville just for Gary, but I'll have to wait till when he finally does appear. <laughs> So what do we win? <laughs> you win, a, let's see, um, a Bob the Goon action figure, <laughs> limited edition, uh, with uh, two-pack Bob the Goon and Plastic Man combo. <laughs> It'll be in the mail shortly, as soon as they make one. <laughs> That'll be wow. that combo yeah. <laughs> I think more people will recognize Bob the Goon, though. Yeah. <laughs> Except Dane. <laughs> All right, so Terrence had to leave because he doesn't love you. He loves sleep more than he loves you. 
So, uh, we can get into our comic book reviews. And like we say all the time, there's going to be a lot of spoilers. So, if you haven't read your books, you might want to come back to this part of the podcast because nobody wants to be spoiled, especially like when you're standing in line for a movie and somebody yells out the ending uh, to The Dark Knight Rises. Or The Empire Strikes or, Back. Or Empire Strikes Back. Or, um, or Marley and Me. Marley. <laughs> the three classics of cinemas. <laughs> yes. Whatever happened to Owen Wilson? Like he he doesn't make movies though. Or or he doesn't make as much movies as he used to, right? I think it was Marley and Me. <laughs> what yeah. Get him in. Yeah. I'd probably stop making movies if I was forced if my co star was a dog. But <laughs> For this episode, we are covering the weeks of September 11th and September 18th. For September 11th, we have Batman number 23.2 Riddler, Detective Comics number 23.2 Harley Quinn, Batman the Dark Knight number 23.2 Mr. Freeze, and Batman and Robin number 23.2 Court of Owls. For September 18th, we have Batman number 23. <laughs> I'm not going to say the 23.3. It's I'm just going to say Batman, Penguin, Batman and Robin, Ra's al Ghul, Batman, The Dark Knight, Clayface, Batman, or uh, <laughs> Detective Comics, Scarecrow. So, um, wait, for, first I should say, um, I didn't read any of the comics for the past two weeks because I'm kind of over Villains Month, and rather than, you know, buy them and complain about them, I just prefer to save some money, and you know, um, I'll pick up the the next issue of the bat of the bat books when whenever um, I mean when the month of September is over. So our rating scale for this week is going to be how many evil, uh, rabid, demonically possessed animals can Patrick Gleason kill with two shotgun shells. So uh, for September 11th, uh, let's go with Rob. Rob, where do you want to start us off at? Uh, let's start off with the Riddler, as I think uh, Tim and I have different views on the, <laughs> on the Riddler issue. Uh, I I enjoyed this one. Um, it it kind of reminded me, I think, was it Alex? I think it said kind of reminded me of the animated series Riddler, and I think that kind of did, too. Um, uh, I liked kind of how he spoke throughout the issue. It was kind of all in riddles, and it was just kind of asking all these different uh, riddles to people that he was kind of coming up against and going back into uh, Wayne Enterprises where he was, you know, fired from. And uh, I do like how most of the issues or most of all the villains are at least referring to what the crime syndicate is doing, that, you know, everywhere across the world is in complete and utter chaos. And um, I, I thought it was pretty good overall. Uh, the only thing that was kind of like the bummer or the downer for me is uh, the Riddler going after, I can't remember what the guy's name was now, but the guy that I think actually fired him and he ends up uh, cutting his arm off with one of his uh, you know, Riddler gadgets or whatever, um, that just kind of seemed kind of out of character for the Riddler to do. I never thought of the Riddler as this kind of uh, violent person, you know, if you get caught in one of Riddler's traps and end up dying, oh well, but to just almost blatantly, you know, dismember or disfigure somebody I kind of thought was kind of out of character, kind of right up until that point, um, I, I was all for it. So I, I, I did enjoy this. So I'll give it a three and a half out of five. 
shotgun shells that it's going to take Patrick Gleason to ward off the angry, rabid wolves that are coming to bite him. Yeah. Like you alluded to, I didn't enjoy this issue as much as you did, Rob. It's mainly for the reason you brought up at the end. Just the whole motivation of why Riddler's doing this is out of revenge. It wasn't even someone who fired him. It was a guard at Arkham who kind of stopped him from playing solitaire in Arkham. That's right. And so that was the reason for Riddler's whole vendetta against this guy. I will agree that he was written well. The way that the issue started with uh, four different riddles and He's kind of asking these questions like, what am I, what am I, what am I, for these four different riddles. And as he was making his way through Wayne Enterprises and the different people he would encounter, he would answer those questions, which I thought was pretty cool. But just the whole thing leading up to, like you said, where just because this guy stopped it from playing solitaire and he kind of uh, – he, he looks like he, in the beginning he snapped Riddler's arm and like kind of threw him to the ground. But what Riddler did to him was much worse. He just severed his arm off, and he tied it into one of the, rid- the riddles that he said into the beginning. So uh, I, was, I didn't get the whole animated series feel to it like you and Alex did. It just, this, to me, it sounded more out of character. Like I said, it, he was just doing this random act of violence against this guy. But it wasn't this classic like puzzles or traps that he was setting that he did in the animated series, which I always loved. So... I don't know, maybe it's me, I just didn't get that vibe to it, and just the whole motivation of why Riddler's doing this just kind of killed the issue for me. So, and then it just ends with him playing solitaire as he was in the beginning, because now that security guard at Wayne Enterprises, who used to be an Arkham guard, is not there to stop him anymore. And he has no interest in joining the secret society that's going on in Forever Evil. He just wants to go up against Batman, since that's, he knows his only real equal to challenge his intellect with. So he just says at the end, I'm going to kill time until Batman shows up again, because he's always not dead. So, yeah, this issue really, I didn't, really didn't like it too much. Thought it was written well, but just the overall story and motivation for him, was, just couldn't get into it. So I'm probably just going to go ahead and give it a two out of five uh, evil rabid animals that Patrick Leeson has to take out with shotgun shells. All right, so, Tim, where do you want to take this? I guess we'll go ahead and go into Harley Quinn and... Like uh, we alluded to before, this is no Mad Love origin story. <laughs> uh, I know in the previous Suicide Squad kind of covered her origin story, and this one did a little too, but not in death, and it's still nothing that's going to rival Mad Love. I did like the intro to it, where it kind of showed what her family life was like as a teenager, kind of a typical disgruntled or family where the parents and the children don't get along, and Harley's really the only one who had the chance to have a good life and do something with herself where her parents are saying, oh, you think you're going to get out of here with your smarts? No, you're like, you're always going to be part of this family and all that. But then we got to show her as she kind of grew and she was able to get these jobs as a psychiatrist, but they weren't challenging enough for her. So that's why she had to go to Arkham. And then we get the small recap of her in the Joker meeting, which is nowhere near as good as what Paul Dean and Bruce Tim did in Mad Love. And I think the one thing that changed from what was done in Suicide Squad was that Joker still dumps her in the ass, and that's what makes her skin white. But in the previous issue in Suicide Squad, I think it turned her hair the, the red and blue color that's in the New 52. But in this issue, before Joker even dumped her into the ass, I think she dyed her hair purple, like half purple and half uh, brown. And then, I guess, going into the chemicals, it made it permanently red and blue. So that's like the one change they did what was done in Suicide Squad. But pretty much this whole issue was Harley uh, getting different uh, pieces of her outfit after Joker dumps her into the chemicals. We see her getting like her leg stockings, her 
her uh, top, her her hammer, just everything, her whole outfit is pretty much what this issue was where she's getting the different pieces of it, which to me I just found boring. Then the whole big thing at the end is that she's giving away what looks like to be these Nintendo DS to a bunch of kids and people, and then it just turns out that her master plan was that all these video game handheld devices are actually bombs, and she sets it off at the end. And it's kind of having this theme where she's back to being alone. She doesn't have the Suicide Squad. Joker's not there. She doesn't want to join the Secret Society. She's kind of felt like, oh, I'm just by myself again. And that's what kind of makes her reminisce about her early family life and her first encounter with the Joker. So this, I don't know, this whole take on Harley is nowhere near as good as it was in the animated series and in some of the earlier comics. I just felt like the changes that they made really just her whole thing with the Suicide Squad. I just want to see more of her with the Joker. I know they had a few interactions in Death of the Family, but I don't know. This this doesn't seem like classic Harley that I want to read about in the New 52, and this issue didn't add anything to that. So this is another disappointing Villains Month issue, and I'm going to go ahead and give this one same same as the Riddler, two out of five rabid evil animals that Patrick Gleason has to take out with shotguns. I think I like this probably... uh about as much as I liked uh, the Riddler, maybe just a little bit less. I, I thought it was a cute uh, little story, um, although I wasn't quite sure uh, which was kind of like the Suicide uh, Squad origin, which was this. You know, was it was her skin dyed first, or was it her hair that was dyed? So I, um, I never really read much of the Suicide Squad unless it crossed over with a, a Batman issue. So I missed her like New Fifty Two origin. Uh, but one thing I really did kind of like that they played her as smart, whereas the animated series it kind of plays her as more as, as ditzy and dumb. It's, that's kind of a, a classic trait of Harley Quinn. But in this one, I almost got the feeling that she is smart, but she is having to play as play more ditzy and dumb rather than try to be ditzy and dumb and try to play smart. So I kind of liked the. She is smart. That is, it's believable she be, could become a psychiatrist. That was always the one thing about Harley that I thought was kind of odd. I thought, well, as ditzy as this girl is, how does she even become a psychiatrist, and how would they even remotely let her into Arkham Asylum? So this one I kind of felt it made a little bit more sense. But like you said, Tim, nothing really kind of beats the classic, you know, Harley Quinn, mad love. But I, I kind of look at it like, well, this is a new 52. It's not old, so I'm trying to take myself out of it. But with such a an iconic character like that, it's really kind of hard to yep. forget forget those classic beats. But but I did enjoy it and kind of, you know, just seeing those little funny beats of, you know, seeing a girl wearing leggings and basically going over there and beating a tar out of her and taking those leggings. And oh, I like that top, and I'm taking that top. And, you know, her getting the hammer was kind of funny. So it it made me chuckle in places that I, I really wasn't expecting to. So I think that's kind of why I, I liked it. It's kind of a nice little lighthearted. It's not going to win any awards. and It's not going to be something I'm probably going to recall in, you know, a year and say, wow, what a great issue. But it, it, it was fun to read. Um, I don't know if it was three ninety nine fun, but, you know, I'll, I'll give it a, a three out of five uh shotgun shells that Patrick Gleason is trying to frantically load into his gun to shoot off the rabid wolves. Alright, so, let us go with Mr. Rob Myers, Ellen and Rob Myers. <laughs> uh, let's do Mr. Freeze from uh, The Dark Knight. Um, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I, did I read... Oh, the, Rob, Rob. Yes. We forgot to ask you. 
Did you like the Batman annual with Mr. Freeze? Yes, I did. In your face, Tim. In your uh, face. <laughs> darn, I'm down two to one now. <laughs> I, yeah, I I liked that annual a lot, and I was really hoping this was going to be more of the same, and I, I kind of felt like it was. So I don't know how you felt about it, Tim, but uh, I, I liked it, and I liked the... I like the creepiness to this, I think, was, at least in my opinion, what some of these villain books should have been. You know, that, you know, Mr. Freeze is, you know, seeing the relationship between his mother and father, and that's the, you know, as he's leaving and mom's trying to call him back and saying, you know, you can't leave us, and mom saying, well, don't worry, you know, Victor, you know, I'm always going to be here, and, you know, you're never really getting that glimpse of what really kind of makes him snap, but he ends up, you know, because the annual, you know, pushing his mom into the river and wanting to try and track down his father. And I, I just, I love the, the end of this book where he has this family frozen and um, has, you know, kidnapped them and is trying to make his new family. I just, I thought this was well written and I, I actually read this twice just because I just thought it was done so good. This has probably been my favorite villain book so far out of the whole villain month. And I I want to say I thought I saw that Anna Santi was originally supposed to write this. I don't know if that was in the solicitations, if it was if I was reading the wrong line, because sometimes in the solicitations you'll get the uh, – writer of like the previous book in the you know the line ahead of what you're reading so i i almost didn't write it down until i found out somebody else was writing the book so i went back in and you know uncrossed my name and said you know i want this i don't want a book written by (laughs) santi so um yeah i i enjoyed this i'm really kind of curious to see what you have to say tim so i'm going to give this four out of five shotgun shells that uh patrick Mason has to fire at some rabid wolves Hey, Tim, yeah. are, are you going to pick up um, the Joker's Daughter issue? Oh, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked you because I'm not. Uh, I am. <laughs> I, oh, you are? Uh, yeah, I am just because it sounds like this is supposed to be a really rare book, and they're allocating this last week of villains' books even harder. So some places are already trying to sell the Joker's Daughter for 80 bucks already. Yeah. It's probably going to be so, terrible. Yeah, I, I know it's going to be terrible, but um, I think this is, if you can see the, the crystal ball in the future, if this becomes a character that's going to end up getting big, this unfortunately is going to be her first appearance. So I was like, put me down. And the guy in the comic book shop was like, are you nuts? <laughs> I don't see that happening. I mean, she wasn't big before, and I don't think Andesenti is the one who's going to take the Joker's daughter and make her a popular character. No, I, I don't either, but I think if the right person ends up writing her somewhere down the line, somebody's going to go, oh, yeah, she was in a Villains Month book, so who knows. But I'm even if if all I get is the 2D cover, then I'm not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so It's it, it's going to be Catwoman number zero again, all over again. <laughs> I, 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 I know, and the guy's like, really, you're going to be the only one in the shop that's going to get it. Which makes me think I'm probably not even going to get the book because if they're allocating across, you know, the board, they may look at my little podunk comic book shop and go, yeah, we're just not going to give it to you. So we'll see. Well, Call me stupid, but. You have my sympathies now, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's so it, it, in two weeks you can hear what I really think of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But for Mr. Freeze, now despite me not liking his new origin story in the Batman annual, I actually really enjoyed this issue. It was like you said, Rob, it was just creepy. And this is even though it did harken back to some moments that I didn't like in the annual with Bruce Wayne kind of being the one that sets off his accident with being Mr. Freeze and then the old thing was him thinking that, that Nora isn't actually his life or just something in his head. So despite all that, there was a good story in here where his oriented story with his family is really good, where his father walks out on him and his mother. But then as Mr. Freeze, as he's locked up, he founds out that his father started a new, brand new family and he has uh, two kids. So Victor wants to get out and meet this family. Of course, you know, he has bad intentions for him, but in his monologue, he's kind of making it where, like, he just wants to meet him. He wants to meet his new family. And the thing that he keeps saying is that he wants to preserve the family. And as you mentioned, Rob, that's exactly what happens in the end, because at the very last page, that's what we see. His, uh, his stepmom and his uh, stepbrother and sister just frozen at a dinner table, and that's his way of preserving them. It just sounds real creepy. And it did fit more into the Mr. Freeze that I uh, know and love from the animated series, where it's kind of that's something where I expect him to do something like that. But um, yeah, overall the issue was pretty cool. I mean, there were some cool moments with Mr. Freeze escaping, and once now I'm blanking if it's Arkham or Blackgate. It was Arkham. Yeah, it was Arkham. Yeah, it was Arkham. Yeah, when the whole uh, just or the crime syndicate breaking out Arkham inmates and Blackgate inmates. So there's like a big ruckus going on in Arkham, and Mr. Freeze goes to his uh, doctor who says that. Go ahead and write these letters, and I'll try to get it to where you can meet uh, this new family of yours. But he was just lying to him. He wasn't going to send these letters out. So Mr. Freeze goes after him, and he takes them out for lying to him. And then we get a moment of Mr. Freeze kind of being a hero where he takes another doctor who, as he's going to search for his family, and a bunch of other inmates who escaped from Arkham. He's kind of like his uh, henchman. But as he's going on a boat, they're about to kill this doctor who he took with him. And then, But he said that she was the only one who was kind to him, and he stops the other Arkham inmates from killing her because they're like cannibals and they're just going to eat her but he just freezes their heads and just like busts it so a lot of creepy Mr. Freeze moments in here but it all added up to an issue I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did so despite me not liking the previous origin story in the annual this still was an enjoyable issue which I think if you did like the annual um, you would love this issue because I did so I'm going to go ahead and give it 4 out of 5 shotgun shells that Patrick Gleason's going to have to use to take out rabbit wolves. So, it was a nice surprise. Alright, so, uh, that just leaves Batman and Robin, Court of Owls. So, Rob, why don't you tell us what you thought about it? Um, I, this is one, I, I liked the story, I could not stand the artwork in it. Um, at all, it just seemed like a bunch of chicken scratches. Uh, the story itself I thought was pretty cool, kind of it's just one of those that, you know, it's kind of recounting again all of the, you know, different times that the basic gist of it, the Court of Owls have gone through everything in, in, in and around Gotham, that they've been there through every major catastrophe. They've always come back out on top, and they've got, you know, this underground bunker, and they're, if they keep have to keep, you know, reverting farther and farther down into this bunker, that's just where they'll stay, and they'll come out bigger and stronger on the top, and, so you just get more of those motifs of, you know, here's what the Court of Owls were doing in, you know, 1842 and then in 1912. So it, if you've read the Court of the Owls story, you know, through here and you get those little bits and pieces of history, it's kind of more of the same. So 
nothing new other than the fact that because of the crime syndicate is here, that the threat may be a little bit bigger than what they have come across, that they may have to unleash the very first talent. And uh, there was uh, another member of the Court of Owls comes down to try and stop them from doing it. And the uh, little girl owl ends up taking out the other uh, female that's, you know, was going to try and stop them because she knows what her uh, father wants to do and knows that this is the next, you know, like cleansing thing that needs to be done that they just kind of look at the crime syndicate as this is just another uh, feat that the Court of Owls will have to win and overcome, but this kind of seemed hard to read. It just, uh, I don't have the issue in front of me, but I just did not care for the artwork at all in this. It actually took me like two days to read just because I would get halfway through the book and be like, I just, I can't stand to look at the artwork. I know it was supposed to be dark and kind of moody and creepy, but it was done to the point of where it was just unenjoyable. So I think I'm going to give it two ratings. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, four shotgun shells out of five for the story. I thought it was really good, but I'm going to give it a one shotgun shell for uh, the whole pack of rabid wolves that Patrick Gleason is going to have to try and uh, kill all these wolves with one shotgun shell, just art-wise. So uh, For me, anyway, I'm with you, Rob, on the story, but actually – Disagree with you a bit on the art. I actually kind of liked it and thought it fit with the, the look of the Court of Owls. I thought seeing the, the daughter in the mask. I thought there's something just creepy about seeing a little kid wearing the Court of Owl mask. It just seems creepy and wrong, but yet it works in the whole Court of Owls organization, the story that's been created for him. So I thought the artwork kind of fit for how the Court of Owls look, at least I, the members I, who, work, who wear the mask. I thought it was cool. I'm just, I, I wish it was a little bit crisper. And uh, with the mayor, I think that's being, uh, you kind of get like the, those three little images of him, like it looks like he's being held from a building or something like that. And just all the lines that are drawn in his face, I don't know if that was supposed to be like knife marks or something, but it just, it looked really sloppy. I liked the eerie and the colors and the girl was creepy, but it just, it, it, it seemed to rush, but that was probably the style, but I didn't mean to step on your review, so. No, it's okay. I just think it's not like the greatest artwork in the world, but it wasn't something that took me out of it, kind of as it did for you. But the story I thought was great, too. I mean, I just love the beginning where we just start out with this, head, this guy, the head of the police department back in 1974. He's just running in rushing, saying, we have to leave the city. We have to get out of here now. And then his little his son comes in and just says, hey, Daddy, I learned a new poem. And he starts <laughs> saying the Court of Owls poem. He's all like, where did you learn that? Then he just points to the bag and says, uh, he told me. Then we just see a talon with his knives and just ready to kill him. So that was a great way to introduce it. And then, like you said, the story of them kind of, this guy and his daughters who are members of the Court of Vows trying to revive the very first talon because they need to go to their ultimate talon to counter the threat of the crime syndicate. And then I didn't see the ending where there was actually other members of the Court of Vows who were trying to do the same thing, but another member was killing them off, not letting them revive the talon. And it kind of took me by surprise where the this member's daughter kills that other member who was going to prevent them from reviving the talent. They're going to take me by surprise and then just seeing her go after the other member and then she looks up and she's like blood slashed on her mask. <laughs> seeing on a little girl this well, man. Like I said, it feels wrong, but yet it works with how the Court of Owls operate. It yeah. was cool seeing the different time periods of how the talents work and take out 
people that they feel they have to take out to protect Gotham and their organization. So, again, another cool Court of Owls story. Kind of, I haven't been reading Talon, but the way it ended, where they're trying to revive that first Talon, kind of makes me want to <laughs> see where they go with it and maybe pick up some other issues of Talon. So, yeah, I really like this issue, and I'm going to go ahead and give it three and a half out of five. All right, so Rob had to leave, and um, it's just me and Tim now, the original crew of the, the Batman's podcast, because Gary doesn't love you, PJ doesn't love you, <laughs> uh, Terrence doesn't love you. And Rob doesn't love you, apparently. Apparently, he likes sleep, like Terrence, more than he likes you. So, you're stuck with us, man. So, if we go into a weird tangent, I'm sorry, but that's just what we do. Right, Tim? Exactly. We got nothing but love to give, as you always say. <laughs> that's why we're still here. <laughs> yeah, nothing but love. Love, love, love. All you need is love. <laughs> Well, you need more than love. You need a little cash and <laughs> a roof over your head. I'm sure. I'm sure if you ask the bum what he need, uh, all he all he needs is love. <laughs> well, I need a little bit of cash and I need uh, something that's bigger than a cardboard box. They must take that song. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that's another one of our tangents that we just forged about. <laughs> Uh, but for September 18th, Tim, where would you like to take us? Let's go with Rachel Ghoul, since I skipped the Penguin. I figured I'd had enough Penguin to fill, <laughs> to fill my need and read more about the character, so I skipped that one. The rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> and your children's lives. <laughs> and their, your great-grandchildren's <laughs> Like, uh, the Emperor Penguin might show up in that one, so I'll skip it. <laughs> it's like, okay, we don't have to read the Penguin. Your great-grandchildren are going to be like... That's okay, we don't have to read the Penguin issue of Batman, because Great Grandpa read enough for the entire world. <laughs> See all these first New 52 issues of Batman, Detective Comics, The Dark Knight, Penguins and most of them, here's your bill. <laughs> well, I mean, at, at least read Pen- Penguin, uh, Pain and Purge. Yeah. That's like the only relevant one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, Rachel Ghoul is definitely someone we haven't had seen too much of in the New 52. And actually, this was, thought this was a pretty cool Villains Month issue, one of the better ones, because it's basically about the crime syndicate sending uh, someone to kind of recruit Raish to joining them. But Raish gives them a test, like, in order to have me join, you got to tell tell me what you know about me, like my histories. So the issue starts off, like, in the Middle Ages of 1285, where we see this group of knights knocking the door on this tower, Saying, like, there's a great evil in here. There's a demon that lives there. We're come to take it out and all that. So the keeper takes him down, like, the stairs of his tower to Lazarus Pit. And it's Rachel Ghoul coming out of it. He's all like, like, what kind of evil are you? Are you human? Or, like, you a fiend from hell? Or what are you? He's all, I am both. I am neither. I am Rachel Ghoul. That was just a cool intro. And then it was like, that's the very first encounter that someone was able, to, I guess, to live and tell about that kind of grow the myth. Of Rachel. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, the problem with that is the guy's gonna be like, "What's a Rachel Ghoul?" Well, I think he probably knows what it means. Yeah, yeah, but like, he knows what the devil is. He knows what the whatever is. But to, to just say, I mean, that's kind of like pretentious of of Rach because like, how, how does he know? How does he know that the guy knows what a Rach is? Well, actually, in the beginning, um, the keeper, I forget exactly what he says, but oh, he says something that you speak, you speak languages, and then. 
the keeper says like I speak many he says many languages or or tongues. I think the guard says something like well like like he's like familiar with languages so maybe that's why they put that in it to set it up where he knows what Rachel Ghoul means. Maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was a great way to start the issue. <laughs> to kind of build the legend of Rachel Ghoul. So we kinda got right. to see the first time someone encountered him. Then the rest of the issue we see the different time periods of him uh, creating the League of Assassins, gaining power. We see him in Egypt and other parts of the world. Just kind of, he's making this uh, guy from the crime syndicate recount these stories just to kind of prove himself to that he knows what he's dealing with. So it's just cool to see Raish build, like kind of see him grow as a villain, I guess, and build his League of Assassins and his empire. And we actually get a glimpse of the classic uh, duel he has with Batman in the desert, the sword fight from the classic uh, uh, Denny O'Neill story that they had. And then it kind of goes into familiar territory where we get a little bit of seeing the whole Batman Incorporated thing with Talia, how she wanted to get even with Bruce and the creation of Damien, and then they show us her death again. So that was, might have been the only weak point because of stuff we've seen before. I would rather see more like of Raish's early history in his life. But then after this guy's done recounting all that, he thinks he's got Raish. Raish, of course, declines to join the new secret society. And this guy's all like, well, it wasn't really a choice. And he sends, like, an electrical shock out to get him. But Ubu steps in to protect his master. And then when this guy thinks he has Raish now that he took care of Ubu, these, like, spears shoot out from, like, these uh, turrets that were on Raish's wall. And they just pierce this guy's hand and pins him to the wall. And he's going to bleed out and die. It was just kind of see, cool to see Raish get the upper hand in that. There's really no one other than Batman could have the upper hand on Raish al Ghul. And he's all like, I, I've seen this before with the crime syndicate's trying to do. They're trying to take control of the world and make it their way, but I've lived through this type of things before, and then when this empire fails, I will begin my work again to try to rebuild the world how I want it. It's like, it's how it always been. It's how it will always be. So... It was cool that Raish isn't really intimidated by the crime syndicate at all. He's going to wait out to see what happens, and then, just as he's done many years before, try to create the world the way he wants it to. So I thought this was a really cool issue. Got to see some history with Raish, and it ended it ended and started in a cool way. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one four and a half out of five shotgun shells that Patrick Gleason's going to have to use to take out the evil rabid wolves. You know what I just realized, Raish? He he has like a thousand year old mustache. <laughs> <laughs> he did a shave in one of those uh, trips before the Lazarus pit. <laughs> no, no, he has to keep keep a a cool mustache because I mean, if there's one thing, one fashion that hasn't gone gone out of style since the beginning of man it was the mustache. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and pants and shirts, but you know. A mustache you can actually grow. You can't grow clothes on you unless you're really hairy. <laughs> All right, so we have two books left. And, uh, Tim, why don't you try giving us one long review of your thoughts and emotions and feelings and uh, the emotions that you've experienced this past week? Well, that's going to be pretty easy with these last two issues because I was disappointed with both of them. So <laughs> it's kind of big. <laughs> yeah, Clayface and Scarecrow. These are actually two uh, villain month titans I was really looking forward to because Scarecrow and Clayface are kind of up there as my favorite Batman villains. But unfortunately, both of them weren't that great. The Clayface one was probably the worst of the two. The first off, the art of Clayface, I didn't like at all. It's 
totally different than what's going on in the Dark Knight story with Clayface. This looks like a big ape who's covered in mud or something. <laughs> this, this face looks like an ape or like a dinosaur. style. This is a weird creature design. It looks like an animal more than just a pile of mud. I was kind of hoping we get more of a origin of, of Bastille Carlo and his transformation to Clayface, but pretty much basically the issue was just that Clayface is, just shows him as a henchman, pretty much like the muscle of a band of crooks who are trying to rip off, like, I forget where exactly it was, a store or a bank or something, but Clayface offers an idea saying, hey, let's go this way, the guy's all the leader, I call the shots here, like, don't, you're just a muscle. Clayface is all like, the last person who told me something like that regretted it, so we get a little flashback of a movie director telling that to Bastille Carlo, and it ends up, I think he ends up uh, punching that guy, the director, and then they will kind of ruin his movie career, something like that. And he does the same thing to the Spanish crooks. He just kills them all as Clayface. And so the job's ruined. And then he finds out that the crime syndicate's recruiting all these villains, but they didn't go recruit him, and he wonders why. He kind of figures he has to prove himself. So he goes to this, he's in this bar that's full of villains. It's like something you see out of the Flash's Rose, where there's just a bunch of villains congregated together. And we get the return of the White Rabbit, which I know we were all dying to see more of from <laughs> the classic Dark Knight early run by uh, David Vidge. So Clayface sees this ad on TV about this resistance movement, and he goes, oh, if I take them out, the crime syndicate will get my attention. So he goes to take him out, and it was something I kind of saw coming from the get-go, where he takes all these resistant movements out. But it turns out they were actually working for the crime syndicate. They sent him there because they wanted to get anyone who would resist them to go to this resistance that was actually controlled by the crime syndicate, and they would take care of anyone who tried to get in their way. But Clayface ruined that by killing everyone who was part of the crime syndicate's fake resistance movement. And so the crime syndicate tells them, oh, you'll never join our group of secret society. You're no, you don't have what it takes, blah, blah, blah. That enrages uh, Bastille Carlo and just destroys everything in his path. Then the issue ends with him teaming up with another group of bad guys who are going to pull off another job. And because he basically just wants to get back on top as a villain, but he's just working as a the muscle henchman. That's really something I didn't want to see about Clayface. I think he's much more than that. So it was just disappointing to read that in this issue. And with his terrible look, I am going to give this issue just uh, one and a half out of five shotgun shells that Patrick Leeson needs to use to take out the rabid wolves because it was just, I was had high hopes for this one being a Clayface fan. It just let me down. Just not what I was expecting to read. You know? That sucks. <laughs> and on the Scarecrow front, that one wasn't as bad, but Scarecrow being my second favorite Batman villain, I had high hopes for this one. But basically all it was was him going around trying to uh, recruit members of Batman's Rose Gallery to prepare for the incoming Arkham versus Blackgate War. That's going to be the focus of the comic tie-in series, Arkham, uh, Forever Evil Arkham War. So we see him first trying to talk to Mr. Freeze, let him know about Blackgate. Then he goes to uh, the Riddler to try to let him know about Blackgate. He goes to Poison Ivy, then he has an encounter with Killer Croc. And that, all his conversation he has with them, he's all telling them, I came to you first because I know you're the one who would be best suited to handle the situation of the impending war. He's trying to, to like butter up all of these villains to kind of make it like, they're number one in his eyes, and that they're the only villains he would go to first to let him know about what's happening. So I kind of wanted to get more in-depth look to what Scarecrow 
as a character is what he's going through during this time of Forever Evil. And I guess we did get a more in-depth look at him in the Greg Hurwitz story arc, which was cool. But uh, I was just expecting more of Scarecrow than just seeing him be the errand boy, as it will, kind of just going around trying to recruit these different villains. And then he had this little sidekick with him there, too, that he ends up killing at the end. It was like someone he broke out of who was with him in Arkham, and he was like his right-hand guy to try to talk to these villains into letting him know about the impending Arkham War. So it was really a slow read, too. I was kind of bored reading it. and It was like this mainly all set up for that upcoming Arkham War uh, tie-in series that's coming up. So this is another one that was disappointing. I was expecting more from Scarecrow and Jonathan Crane, a more look inside to the character that we've gotten in the other villain month's issues. But, like, part of me complains about that, but at the same time, part of me realizes we got that with Craig Hurwitz's uh, story arc, so... I don't know. Either way, I was disappointed with it. So I'm going to give this one a two and a half out of five uh, shotgun shells that Patrick Gleason has to use against evil rabbit dogs. So, Dane, I think I could say you maybe you, or you probably did make the right decision not getting too many of these villains <laughs> month issues because there's really only three good ones so far. Yeah, and I was the one asking you if I was a bad Batman fan <laughs> for not picking up uh, the, the villains month issues. Um, but I'm kind of glad I did. Uh, I mean, I didn't. Yeah. Got, I think out of all the Villains Month with Batman, there's only been four good ones. The three today, or this episode, uh, Rachel Ghoul, Court of Owls, and Mr. Freeze, and then the Two-Face one. That's it so far. Yeah, for me, I mean, I mean, the ones I've read, I'm going to have to say the Joker one. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Nobody really likes it, but... <laughs> At least I'll you found, be honest. Yeah, yeah, at least you had one that you enjoyed. <laughs> Even <though it> was <laughs> but anyways, um, so that wraps up our comic book reviews, and we're almost done, Tim. We're almost, almost done. We're close to the finish line. Yeah, we're eight ninths, even though that's not a fraction. <laughs> done. I'm gonna stumble and fall before I get there, though. <laughs> You're gonna have to pick me up. But uh, before we end this thing, we just gotta remind you: go to tweetaudio.com. And uh, you can place your order, and when you're checking out, you can enter the promo code TBUSAVES, and you can receive 33% off your entire order, plus free worldwide shipping. That's hard. (laughs) It's a hard word to say. Worldwide. Word. Worldwide. Especially if you add word in there. Word worldwide. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but uh, you can check out the banner on the top of uh, the BatmanUniverse.net, or you can just go to tweakedaudio.com. But uh, we are done, Tim. We are finally done. We made Another it. episode in the bag. Yep. We're reaching middle age, though. It's scary, isn't it? It's it's scary and sad at the same time. Out of our thirties. I know. It's just like you're out of. You're 20. Uh, don't remind me. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be 25 in two weeks, so. <laughs> I only got five more years you left. Enjoy it while you can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim. But anyways, um, it's enough about feeling miserable, even though we the podcast is, you know, middle-aged. Uh, we're going to have to move on with our lives and get regular jobs. You know, we can't be artists, you know, just uh, living off of our parents and stuff, Tim. We need to get real good 9-to-5 jobs and a mortgage. We need to pay our taxes, most importantly. Because we don't want to go to prison for a long time. 
Great, Tim. Yeah, we got to do it now while we're in the, heading into our 40s before we retire at episode 65. So got to get yeah, some money. Or, you know, we could always retire earlier. Uh, we could retire in our 50s, in our early to late 50s. Or we could just work for the rest of our lives. That's true, too. We'll do it yeah. to we're 200. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can be that one old old janitor at McDonald's <laughs> wiping off the tables. Big old beard. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be a bum, right? I mean, that, that's got to be a bum or an old person that's really bored just cruising at home, right? You would think, but you never know. He could work there. Yeah, and he could be a millionaire. <laughs> just doing stuff to keep busy. Keep busy. <laughs> but, I mean, McDonald's is it, it's not that bad of a job, right? It's a job. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do yeah. what you got to do. Yeah. And, and there's room for promotion. So That's true. That's always good. But anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, this is a McDonald's podcast. Guess we're on the fly tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> because what is that, like minimum wage? It's got to be minimum wage, yeah, right? It has to be. Yeah. And I'm sure you gotta like you gotta start at like flipping burgers before you can get to the cash registers, right? I would think so. I don't know how their training system works. Let's like start off anywhere, but yeah, like what is their training system? Because I mean, the, there is a system. I mean, yeah, you can eat that stuff raw, but nobody wants to eat it raw. <laughs> I mean, like, like what's the system of like? I mean, especially like the fries, because like the fries, you need to get perfect because you can't have them too soggy, you can't have them burnt. You just gotta get them crispy. So, so how do you train that, or, or do they just go off of the timer? And if you go off the timer, that means that you need to learn how the system works. I'm getting so that's the timer. I don't think it's that <laughs> much uh, yeah. work that goes into making the fries. Just stick it in there, and then you wait for the timer to go and check it out. Yeah, but like, like what about the um, the burgers? Like, is there a timer, or is there a certain kind of technique? Like, how many patties do you put on the grill? <laughs> We're gonna have to go investigate this and just find out for ourselves by working there. <laughs> oh, I mean, it could be a side thing. <laughs> and what happens if you run out of like the quarter pounder containers? <laughs> and like, like, do you just substitute a Big Mac container, or do you just? That has happened to me before. Ordering food, they put it. Really? Yeah, they put the fries in the soda cups because they're out of a regular fry. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, like, you, if you get like the regular medium fries, how, how do they measure that? I doubt that. I just really just stick them in there. <laughs> just change your food and get out of here. <laughs> oh, maybe we should wrap this up right now. Pass your bedtime. I'm getting hungry for McDonald's now. <laughs> yeah, go to McDonald's. Don't go through the drive-thru. Go, go, go inside and, and, and try to take a peek behind the counter and see what they do. I'll ask Mike to go and look. Yeah. I don't want to buy anything. I just want to see how you make the food. And yeah, system works. I mean, we don't have a lot of listeners here, but we have some listeners, and I'm sure like one person has worked at McDonald's. So if one person, if that one person emails us and and tells us the procedures at McDonald's, and you know, we'll we'll be happy and we'll love you. <laughs> we'll be forever grateful. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, you can go to BatmanUniverse.net. You can check out the news, the features, uh, all the other Batman Universe podcasts. You can find all of, all. All the other Batman Universe podcasts on Twitter, on uh, not Twitter, uh, iTunes. Uh, you can rate and review us, and you can rate and review them. So you know, go ahead and do that, and uh, it'll make us really happy. Especially since we're stuck at nine, 
It's just like, <laughs> can, we, can we just make it an even 10? That would be nice. Have a nice 10. A nice yeah. round number. And Dustin's on all of those podcasts except for this one. I mean, I, I've asked him. We've scheduled it, but at the last minute, he's uh, said that he couldn't do it, uh, which is kind of suspicious. I, I I think he doesn't want to do it because he hates you, Tim. <laughs> I knew it was me. <laughs> you have to say I'm not on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go. Tim uh, had something to do <laughs> uh, this episode, so why don't you come on with me? And then I'll sneak uh, in. <laughs> right as we're about to record, I'll pop up. And then we'll promptly get get kicked off the site. <laughs> but anyways, um, Dustin is a Jedi Master, and uh, he's wiser than Yoda, because Yoda, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, was he kind of got left on his butt there, because he was too unwilling to bend the Jedi rules. He was being ignorant. No, he just didn't want to go down the dark path, and he knew he... He lost. Yeah, I guess. He wasn't but ignorant. Still, he, he could have just killed the, the Emperor. And what do you think saved. he was trying to do? <laughs> yeah, but, like, he gets he knocked down. He could have just flew in, flew his little body back up there <laughs> and took out the Emperor. And then he'd have to go to the, use some dark side stuff to kill him. He, he didn't have his lightsaber yeah, yeah, anymore. Yeah, he had way the options. He had way the options. There was a lot of Wookiees that were slain. <laughs> there were a lot of races that were put into concentration camps. It was going to be a hard fight. Yeah, I know, but still, I mean, how many lives were lost because Yoda just walked away? <laughs> he lost the battle. He didn't walk away. He was defeated. I mean, it became Nazi Germany, essentially. So, I mean, if if you could have took out Hitler, you'd take out Hitler. You don't walk away. <laughs> he was beaten, though. <laughs> I guess, but I mean, just use the force to call back your lightsaber. Hop back up there. Yeah, where was that? It was gone. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can find him. There was you a bunch, of, a bunch of rubble with you're, those you're Senate. The, you're the Grand Master of the Jedi. <laughs> Palpatine's just going to wait for him to find his lightsaber. He's not going to do anything. Okay, I guess. I guess. I mean, I just thought that Yoda could have took a second and weighed the options. Hmm, genocide? Or I could take this guy out right now. And saved the galaxy a whole lot of trouble <laughs> for 19 years. But he couldn't, that's the thing. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I mean, yeah, uh, me up here, Dean, before we end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, Yoda is a wise Jedi Master, but I feel that Qui-Gon, if it was Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon would have went after the, the Emperor. He would have probably died, but yeah. still. Well, if they listened to Qui-Gon and weren't so uptight as a council, they wouldn't even be that mess. <laughs> they wouldn't have noticed what was going around around them. Yeah, you're right. <sighs> I miss Qui-Gon. I hope Qui-Gon is in the sequels. It'd be cool if he got a standalone movie, or he was in one of the standalone movies. Yeah. See him and Obi-Wan, like, earlier before Phantom Menace, that would be cool. Like, the first yeah. mission together, a Master and a Padawan. Unfortunately... Latino review hasn't confirmed that rumor. <laughs> so, it's not gonna <laughs> so it's not going to happen, right, Tim? Yes, but there are a lot of casting readings going on right now, which I wasn't aware of. <laughs> it's like only obvious they're doing casting yeah. right now. I mean, I'm sure they're asking people, or they're sending around a mock script or something, yeah. asking people to, to audition. But, I mean, how, how do you know that it's that person, that specific person? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sources, that's all it is. 
I think if you listen to the new Rebel Force Radio, you're really going to like what Steve Sansweet says. Huh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, you can also f- you can also follow the Batman Universe and uh, on Twitter and the, the Twitter handle is at Batman Universe, and you can follow all of us on Twitter and. Tim's Twitter handle is TimG311. Terrence's is IOD1974. And Rob's is drummer, at DrummerRob10. And, um, you never give yours he, out, Dan, I notice. Why don't tweet? <laughs> I, the, the last tweet I, I sent out... It was about Batwoman, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Batwoman. And the, the other one before that was about Homer Bailey getting rocked by the A's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, you can email us at uh, batfans27 at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash batfanspodcast. So, with that, we love you. We love you a lot. Don't cry, because we'll be back here doing this in two weeks, and we love you. We love you so much. Every single one of you. Guy or girl. Right, Tim? Right. Remember, all you need is love. <laughs> all you need is love, love, love. So, goodbye, everybody. We'll see ya. See you next time. Yeah, I finally <laughs> said goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I finally said goodbye. And the world is right. <laughs> but I mean, come on. Yoda, he, he, he could have saved the galaxy. He could have been the hero. He could have been Anakin. It wasn't a guarantee he'd kill the Emperor. He or could at least subdue him somehow. He doesn't have to go through the court system. Yeah, but it was a it was a battle he could have made. He lost his lightsaber. The Palpatine has the dark side power. Maybe maybe Yoda doesn't even know how to use the dark side power of the force that Palpatine does. Yeah, the light side not an offensive. I mean, I'm sure he could do a force choke and all that. But like the force lightning, I don't know about. I just don't think it was a battle he could win. Funny though. He was at he was at a disadvantage. He was not he was not on the ground. If he'd go up, Palpatine would be waiting for him to either electrocute him or throw more of the Senate chambers at him, he'd force him to work. Without see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>